Hey, you guys, how you doing? Oh, great. I heard one fantastic. That's always good. I'm great, too. Thanks for asking. Um, hey, so like Nicole said, we're going to talk about going global tonight. We're talking about missions. Stephen came down last week and kicked this series off. And so I don't think I need to spend a lot of time convincing you that the Christian life is a life that has a purpose. The Christian life has a purpose, and you are here hoping, hopefully, to, to hear more about what God is inviting you into. Like, if, if you're a Christian in this room, you have a purpose. Your purpose is to live to make Jesus known. It's to, it's to live for him, but God is inviting us into what he's doing in the world. And so we need to remind ourselves tonight of exactly what that invite is. And he's inviting us all, I know, to walk with him by faith and to partner in some way, shape, or form with him in the work that he is doing, the work that he's called all of us as believers to do. I want to talk tonight about what one pastor, author calls the second greatest human activity to ever exist. And that activity, I know I might need to convince you of it, is missions, crossing oceans, crossing cultures for the sake of the gospel, for the name of Jesus, to win people to Jesus. And so what I want to do tonight is open up our Bibles to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis. You can open to chapter 6. I want to open up our Bibles and start in Genesis, and I want to, I want to show you that from the very beginning of your Bible, God has always planned and desired for all people everywhere to know him and to worship him. That's going to require a lot of page turning, a lot of just Bible tonight. Not because I'm going to be grasping at straws to kind of like make this something that you see, but I want to actually show you how it's just all over your Bible, how it's just on every page. I want you to see God's heart for the nations in your Bible tonight. So get ready for lots of page turning. Most of it's going to be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one after. Just head out to Info Central. So turn to Genesis 6. We're going to work our way all the way to the book of Revelation at the back in a little while. And so as you turn to Genesis 6, the fall of Adam and Eve has already happened. And things actually aren't any better off on uh, the earth this is what it says in verse 5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. It's heavy, right? Like because of our rebellion, the loving creator looking down on his creation regretted making his image bearers, regretted making mankind. He, he wanted his creation to flourish, to experience intimacy with him. But just like, their, just like Adam and Eve, their descendants are rebelling against God. It says that 
every intention of man's heart was only evil continually. And, and thank God that like evil actually grieves the heart of God. So what does God do about it? Turn a few chapters over to the, chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1. This is the Tower of Babel. It says, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And real quick, as we've just flown to chapter 11 now, we're skipping over God flooding the earth in judgment because of his hatred of sin and only actually sparing Noah and a few other people. And then in chapter 10, we're given the genealogy of Noah, and so we are seeing that Noah wasn't the answer. Noah wasn't the person who was going to come and, and actually redeem humanity and set all things right, and it wasn't his descendants either. They're not that great. But keep reading with me. It says, And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused their language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. God knows that without intervening, humanity would just become an even worse dumpster fire, and it, it kind of, you know, in a funny way says God has to come down to see their cute little tower that they're building to try and make a name for themselves. And so he confuses their language, he disperses them, because he doesn't want to keep evil from snowballing and gaining ground in the world. You could say that God is in this story restraining the evil in the world, because he hates it. It was running rampant. It was going to snowball, and he puts a governor on it. And so before we move on from the book of Genesis, because like I said, we're flying through our Bibles tonight, we have to turn just one more chapter over to chapter 12, and we need to see what God tells this man named Abraham, or Abram. That's his name in chapter 12. Says this in verse 1 Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God comes to Abraham, he calls this wealthy man, to leave all the things he knows, to leave the comfort and security 
of his land for this promise that he's giving him. That he will bless him, and in blessing him, he's actually going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth, all the nations. And what becomes even more clear if you keep on reading in Genesis is that the promised Messiah, the one who's going to make all things right, the one who's actually going to crush the head of the serpent that's promised back in Genesis 3 right after the fall, is going to come through Abram's offspring. So one more spot in Genesis. Get ready to keep flipping pages. Genesis 17. God comes to him again and makes it even more clear and makes a covenant with Abram in Genesis 17. Starting at verse 1, it says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I want to call your attention to what it says in this, in verse, um, where is it at? Sorry. Well, when, so God, when God says to him, kings shall come from you. I want to call your attention to that because it's, it's kings, plural, do you notice that? It's not just a king will come from you, but kings. And this promise does ultimately come to pass in King Jesus being born into the world through the line of Abraham. But there are, in fact, other kings that come before. Kings that, just like Abraham, weren't men who actually were the one to set all things right. They weren't the deliverer, the the man who would set God's people free from their slavery to sin, but they're people who would be included in the genealogy of Jesus. And God would even use some of them to write other books in our Bible that continue to show us God's heart for all people to know him. And so, briefly, we don't have a ton of time to go lots more places in the Old Testament, but I want to show you God's heart for the nations in the song book of Israel, otherwise known as the Psalms. So I'm just going to read some verses from the Psalms to help us see that though God first came to one man, right? Though he first came to one man and made a covenant with him and blessed him so that he had a son and continued to be true to his promise, to keep his covenant, that one day there would be a chosen people of God, right, Israel, that was never just some plan that had to end there. That was never God's intention that it would just end like that. They had a purpose. God's chosen people always have a purpose. Their purpose was to reflect the goodness and glory of their God to all the peoples of the earth. 
So this is Psalm 86.9. Like I said, we're just going to read a bunch of Psalms real quick. Psalm 86.9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Psalm 96.2-9. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 97.6. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. And all the people see his glory. Psalm 108.3. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. And lastly, Psalm 117.1, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. This is what God's chosen people sang together when they worshipped. This was at the very heart of God and it came out in their singing, in their corporate worship. They would sing psalms saying, let's tell of our God's salvation From day to day, let's declare his glory to the nations. But there's also heavy psalms, like Psalm 115. This is some of Psalm 115. It says this, talking about the nations, talking about people who are not God's chosen people, Israel. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. This isn't some psalm that's like mocking or belittling people of another faith, of other religions. It's supposed to move God's people's hearts to the fact that there are people worshiping idols Lifeless idols when they know the God who gives life. These psalms were, were, sung, were sung to cultivate a heart that actually moved people towards the people that are worshiping false gods. Moving us, moving people who know God's grace to go to people who have never heard the name of Jesus and beckon them to believe. John Piper once said that missions is not a recruitment project for God's labor force. It's a liberation project from the heavy burdens and hard yokes of other gods. You guys, people, people who are bowing to idols, they cannot and they are not practicing the greatest activity in human history. 
which is worshiping the true God, worshiping King Jesus for who he is and being freed to actually be who they're created to be in him. Like, did you get that? Missions is the second greatest human activity to ever exist because it brings people into a relationship and being able to worship the God who loves them and has died for them. It's the second greatest human activity in the world because without it, people who are lost, people who have never heard the name of Jesus won't ever worship the true God and won't ever experience true freedom. And we get to go to them and we get to say, a God who cannot be served can only be enjoyed. That's our God. He cannot be served. He comes and he serves us. He comes and he lays down his life for us. People are misplacing their worship. And we get to liberate them with the liberating news of the gospel. Turn with me now to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. We're going to spend more of our time throughout the book of Romans. But Romans 1 is a New Testament book that the Apostle Paul wrote after God had sent Jesus to pay for our sins and after God had raised him from the dead. And so the Apostle Paul writes this. This is how he starts off his letter to the church in Rome. And remember, this is a guy who once was trying to do away with Christians, trying to put an end to the church. It says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. That just means a sent one. Set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David, King David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, sentness to, be, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Do you see how he's talking about the unity of the scriptures here? How he's going, this gospel was something that was actually being talked about way back in the Old Testament. It was promised beforehand. And reaching the nations with the gospel is so important that it makes it already into the first few verses of this very long book that he's going to write, packed with theology, to the church in Rome. And so, the Apostle Paul would go to be a missionary sent to the Gentiles. This man converted in a radical way, who goes from persecutor of the church to someone who wrote much of our New Testament and saw churches get started, churches be planted. And so trust me that you and your past is not so bad that God can't use you for his mission. 
You're not so broken that God can't use you. And your sins and my sins aren't so bad that his grace can't forgive us of them. But you guys, there's a shortage of laborers in God's harvest. There is. And so I need to ask you, if you're going to be a fisher of men like Jesus called his disciples to be, if you're truly going to be that, or if you're going to be some nominal Christian that doesn't actually think that their participation in the mission of God really matters at all. Like, are you going to care little about the fact that people don't have access to this gospel, even if they wanted to hear about Jesus? Because here's the thing. Heaven is going to be filled with the worship of people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. How much sweeter would it be for you if you were there and you heard people singing, people worshiping Jesus in different languages that you actually recognized because you had gone to that village, you'd gone to that place, and you'd actually gotten to share the gospel and perhaps saw and witnessed people come to faith. How much more sweet would it be if there you were in heaven with Jesus, enthralled by him, amazed by him, Nothing could take away the enjoyment of him, but you saw people that you got to lead to Christ or people that you got to sow a gospel seed to. Like, I don't know how else to do this, but to tell you to flip really quick over to Revelation chapter 7. We were just in this the other week on, on Sunday. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. This is... John writing, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's what's coming. That's what you are going to be caught up in if you belong to Jesus. So, Quickly, I want to show you this map on the screen because the world has lots and lots of people who still need to hear about Jesus. And I just need you to see this. Okay, this is called the 1040 window where there's orange. That's what's commonly referred to as the 1040 window. And that's basically 10 degrees north latitude, 40 degrees north latitude. That's that's the spot in the world where there are so many people yet to hear of Jesus. You guys, nearly 3.4 billion people in the world don't have access to the gospel. They don't know another Christian. They might not have the Bible translated in their native tongue. And no one will come to faith in Jesus unless someone goes and shares the gospel. This section of the map, that window, is where 
most of, where 50% of the world's population actually lives. Just that section alone. But here's the really striking things. 3% of missionaries actually go there. And what's worse is that 2% of America's giving dollars to missions is actually going to work going on there. David Platt says that the reason that this window is what it is and the stats are what they are is because the church is not giving weight to Jesus' final words, his great commission to us to go and make disciples of all nations. Like somehow over time, slowly, in places like America, it just became okay that somehow Christianity was comfortable, that Christianity perhaps was just something you did on one hour of your Sunday morning. Like the Great Commission, this command from Jesus, his, his last words with ultimate importance, just kind of became this great suggestion for far too many churches. And before you like arrive at the conclusion that you could make a dent in this map some other way, let me say this. Taking part in the mission of God and belonging to a church aren't two separate things. They're not two separate things. They're not two unrelated activities. They're one in the same. Like the church is the people that God has called you to do life with if you are a Christian. And the church is the people who have received the Great Commission and are entrusted with discipling and training and sending the goers to places like the 1040 window. Like we're a sent people. The church is a sent people. We, we gather to actually go back out into the world and reflect the glory of God and share his good news. We're a sent people ultimately because our God is a missionary God himself. Like he has come down to us. And so we go. He has sent Jesus who has now sent us by the Spirit and with his Spirit. One author said, missions isn't an addendum that was stapled onto normal Christianity. It's at the heart of Christianity because it's at the heart of God himself. God is the great missionary God of the scriptures. And I want to say that because it's at the very heart of God, you guys, reaching the nations is a big deal in the church. Reaching the nations must be a big deal in the church. And I know that many of you, in, in a few years from now, you might be moving for a job, going off to school somewhere else, looking for a church, and I'm telling you, something is seriously off if that church talks little about the fact that there are people dying without ever having the opportunity to hear of what God has done for them in Christ. Like, let me ask you this. 
does it strike you that there are people who don't have this opportunity that you have, this privilege, this blessing that you have to gather and actually hear God's word and worship God? They've never even heard of Jesus. They don't know him. They've never heard of what he's done for them. Are you so caught up in where you're going in life, not thinking about the fact that people are going to die in their sins, never knowing what God has done for them? Is the career that you're pursuing actually something that you could do literally anywhere in the world? Like, why not go somewhere for the sake of the gospel and do what you're studying to do, what you want to do, while at the same time also being a disciple maker, the thing God has called you to do if you want to be his child, if you want to be in his kingdom. You're a disciple maker. Go to a country where there is little to no gospel witness. Spend some of your life in a place where the church is actually so small that it's not able to ever grow because people actually die before the church multiplies. One pastor said it this way, do what you do best for the glory of God and do it in a place that's strategic for the mission of God. Like you guys, the idea of going somewhere strategic for a a part of your life, the rest of your life, a summer in your life, isn't a new idea. It's something that we need to think about together tonight a little bit, strategy and where the places are that need the gospel the most. In fact, for Paul, it worked this way too. Romans 15, 20, he says this, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. He's going, I'm thinking strategically. I need to know where is there no witness of Jesus. I need to go there. And so where he went on his missionary journeys was strategic. 86% of all Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists will die without ever hearing the name of Jesus unless right now in this state of the world people go. The church sends people to them. And they're going to live forever somewhere. Everyone lives forever somewhere. You live forever. You will live forever somewhere. I will live forever somewhere. And God's word is is clear that just because people don't have a chance to hear the gospel, they don't just go to heaven. They don't. And if that breaks your heart, I promise you it actually breaks God's heart far more. But he will not violate his justice he won't go against his character you guys there are far more unreached people groups in the world now than there were in the new testament era meaning the task is massive like it's a god-sized task but even just us in this room if we decide If we say, God, I'm done building my kingdom on the earth. I'm done living for myself. 
What would he do with a group this big? Because think about what he did with 12 men. Think about where the gospel went in even just the first couple hundred years of the church. The church exploded, even under circumstances that were very difficult and oftentimes had persecution. The fact is, guys, people know, people all over the world that don't have access to the gospel, people know a general knowledge of God, but they don't have a saving knowledge of God unless Christians go with the gospel to them. Like we are called to go, to give, and to pray. And you might not be called right now to go. You might be called to finish school. You might be called right now, tonight, to become a Christian. You might be called to continue to share the gospel on your dorm floor for the rest of your time in college. You might not have that much money to give, but there are plenty of places that you could give, especially if there's only 2% of America's dollars given to missions going to the places in the world that need the gospel the most. Anything would count. And we're called to pray. And I think we oftentimes go about thinking that prayer really isn't that powerful, that it doesn't really mean participating in the Great Commission when I pray for lostness. But I'm certain of the fact that it is the will of God that you and I pray more than we do now for lost people especially in places where there is no access to the gospel. So don't believe that prayer is somehow not a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. It's very much a part of it. You guys, there are things online, apps on your phones, things like prayer cast, things like the Unreached of the Day or joshuaproject.net. I don't know what other websites have .net in them besides that one, but it's that one. There are things that actually will help you be reminded to pray and learn about places in the world that desperately and urgently need the gospel. And if you're, if you're open to the idea of going for some portion of your life, maybe it's even just like tonight for the first time ever, something that you feel an openness to talking about, to exploring. My, my encouragement to you would be to actually apply this next fall to go overseas for two months. Now, you might already be feeling like, I want to go overseas for longer, and that's great. Let's talk about it. Grab your connection group leader, talk about it. I'm not here to say this is for sure the thing you should do next, but going overseas for something along the lines of two months or so can help you actually discern if that's a place that God is calling you to serve for a longer period of your life. And so let God work through that whole process of applying, of the interview, of going for those two months and see what happens. And I want to end by telling you this. You guys, all who claim Christ, they do have a purpose. They are called to participate in the Great Commission, one way or another, going, 
intentionally seeking and praying for opportunities to share the gospel with people from the nations where you live. Like, that's, that's a thing. There are people that come to even places like Cedar Rapids who are from countries that are very much unreached. But there's a desperate need for us to go. There's a desperate need for more money to be directed to places that the gospel just needs to spread like wildfire. And I don't think any of that will change unless we actually believe more deeply in the power of prayer. And so I don't want to end actually with my words. I want to end with one more place in the Bible. Romans chapter 10. This is what God says through Paul. Romans 10 verse 14. Like I think God has some questions for us tonight in these verses. I'm going to close with these verses. It says, how will they call on him? How will the, the people with no access to the gospel, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray. God, you alone deserve the worship of all people everywhere. You are the God who came down to, to earth from heaven because you loved the world so much. You're the, the one true God who gives life, forgives sin. You call us to your own glory. You call us to, to be swept up into just the greatest activity in all of humanity, to worship you and to be known by you and changed by you, to be set free from the, the chains of all forms of idols, the idols of success and money, the idols of popularity, the idols of, yeah, just every, everything that our world is, is trying to sell us and get us to bow down to. And Lord, there are other people on the other side of the world, even people right next door who have false gods, who don't know you and how much you love them. Would you break our hearts for the fact that that you want them, you know them, you've, you've done everything for them in Christ. Help us to, to live on purpose. Help us to go to those people.
because you came for us. Pray in your name. Amen.